Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you for today. We ask that you will breathe upon the words, that you will paint a picture in our hearts, Heavenly Father, as to where you're taking us as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, today, um, it's a bit different uh, in in the sense that... um, I want to share with you um, a vision for the new, um, a vision for the new. If we cast our minds back um, and if we carefully look at our journey over the last year or so especially, and particularly over the last seven, eight months, It's obvious that God was taking us um, somewhere. Round about the end of last year, uh, with the pandemic still raging, the Lord gave us a word which we shared at our (coughs) crossover service um, as we crossed over from last year into this year. The word he gave us came out of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, uh, verse 11. I'm reading the New Living Translation. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It was a very comforting word to us at a time when we desperately needed that comfort and that encouragement from God. It was a ray of light that God shone into what was very dark and challenging times, not just for us, but for the nation. And I want you to receive that word, of course for us as as a church, but for your life as well. Because what God was saying to you at a time when we most needed to hear it, and a word that would stand us in good stead as we pressed on into the year, was that in spite of all that is happening, I have a plan for you. And it's a particular kind of plan. You can rest in that. It's a plan for good. It has nothing to do with disaster. One translation would say evil. It's a plan to give you a future. So you know your future is assured if you receive that word from God. As a people, we know our future is assured when we receive that word from God. And it's a plan to give us a hope, a hope in what God is doing. A hope that is founded on our relationship with Christ. And so we embraced that word. It was really like water that was poured on a patch, some patched ground. 
And then shortly after, as we entered the new year, the Lord gave us another word. And that's really how we expect to live our lives, guided by the word of God. If you remember the, the story of the prophet Elijah, one of the phrases I love as I read his story, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And so the word of the Lord came to us at Jesus' house, out of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verses 18 and 19. And this particular word has defined our journey in this season of our lives. Again, reading from the New Living Translation. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And what a word it was. Forget the former things. Forget all that, this translation says. And when you read the preceding verses, all that was a lot. All that was the pattern of the Red Sea, the, the, the awesome demonstration of God's power. And here was God telling his people, forget that. Put that in perspective. Don't let that define what I'm about to do. Because what I'm about to do is a new thing. Yes, great things have been done. But I'm about to do something new. In fact, I have started it. If you look around, you will see it. It's already bubbling over or coming up. It's already shooting itself through the, like a, like a, like a seed presses through and breaks the ground to, to, to begin to show the tiny leaves. It's already begun. And he says, you will identify what it is by these two things. It will be a pathway, one translation says, a way in the wilderness. And it will be rivers in the dry wasteland or in the desert. So how will I know this new, this new thing? Because I will be able to say it's a pathway in the desert and it's rivers. It's a pathway in the wilderness and it's rivers in the desert. And as we began to pray into that word... Hold on to it. Ask for more revelation of it. The Lord spoke another word into our lives. Now, all this is speaking into your life. Out of Matthew, the ninth chapter and the 17th verse, Mark, the second chapter and the 22nd verse, similar scriptures, 21st and 22nd verse. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And then this was the word that really came to us strongly. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. And so he was doing a new thing, he made clear. Word after word after word was coming to us confirming that he is doing a new thing. He wants to pour out new wine, but he can't do that if we don't give him new wine skins. Of course, 
we know that it speaks prophetically of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that that Holy Spirit is going to be poured into new wineskins and the wineskins speak prophetically about you and I. About you and I being new wineskins that God can pour His Spirit into. But then, in, a, in a larger applications, it speaks about God doing new things and new structures being created that God can do the new things that He wants to do through. And then we arrived at our Pursuit of God conference in June. And the Lord gave us a word that, that from which the theme of the conference came from. And for 21 days of the conference, we had ministers of God come and share out of this word, blessing us with their revelation of this word that God gave us. We prayed into it uh, three times a day, 6 a.m., 12 noon, and 6 p.m. Uh, we had uh, late-night prayer sessions. We prayed from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. every Saturday, nonstop, as we birthed this word. And that word is taken out of Songs of Songs, the second chapter and the 13th verse from the Passion Translation. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? It's a question. And from that sentence came the theme for a 21-day pursuit of God, a new day of destiny. The scripture goes on to say, the early signs of my purposes and plans are burst, bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place, for now is the time to arise and come away with me. And when I kicked off the pursuit of God and shared from this scripture, I pointed out a few things. I pointed out, as you remember then, that, that God was the one who was orchestrating this new day of destiny. That he says that the signs are there already. The early signs of his purposes are bursting forth. That they are blooming around. They are there for the discerning eye to see that God is doing a new thing. That there's a whole new wave. That like a tsunami has been underground but now is beginning to come to the surface. That God is definitely doing a new thing. Not just in Jesus' house but in his church. And we talked about the fact that that new thing must come with change. That even the flowers are whispering. There is change in the air. And anyone who wants to embrace the new must prepare themselves for change. And then we spoke about the call of God to a place of intimacy with his spirit. Arise, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. A call to a deeper level of intimacy like we've never experienced before. That had to accompany whatever new thing God was doing. And then we spoke about the timing of it. The urgency. The call is arise because the time has come and go away with me. And if you remember... This year, especially the first six months, 
We spoke about unprecedented prayer. We prayed like we've never prayed before. Oh, we prayed. Not that we've stopped praying, but we plowed. It was obvious to me that all this prayer was birthing God's plans and purposes for your lives, for us as a people. We had three 21-day cycles of non-stop prayer in the first four or five months of the year. Literally, almost every month, we're fasting and praying for 21 days. We had midnight prayers, non-stop praying. We had Saturdays, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., non-stop. We had leaders standing in the gap every, every night for most of the months of the year. Some of the congregation didn't know that. But the prayer was non-stop that was going on. We, I, I, I said to them that we are in that birthing stage. And in this birthing stage, we push until something happens. We don't stop until the baby has come out. And we fasted. I saw someone recently and I said, oh, you, you, you've, you've, this was a few months ago. I said, you've lost a lot of weight. She said, it's all the fasting you've been calling. We have, all we have done is fast this year. And then you remember oh, me talking constantly about this discontent that I felt in my spirit about the state of things. I borrowed from Bill Hybel's book, Holy Discontent, and I called it a holy discontent. The way things were, you kind of felt there was more. You looked at things and they were ticking along. It was okay. And in some quarters, some of what we were in was being celebrated. But you knew that there was a lot more. And what were these things that I saw? I can talk about them for the next I don't know how many hours, and I've done with, with, with a few groups. But then I'll just highlight a few of the things that must have created that holy discontent in me, and I hope it did in you. It was obvi obvious to me that the church had reached a, 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 a plateau. It was obvious to me that the church wasn't growing like it was growing in times past. And as I looked at the church, there was a certain rigidity that I felt had come into the church. And I might be speaking to you at Jesus' house, but I'm sure I'm, I'm speaking to the body of Christ. As I studied the Acts of the Apostles, I realized that the challenge is that what I saw and admired in the Acts of the Apostles that was pulsating and thriving and throbbing and full of life, the life of Christ, was a movement. But that somehow... The church had moved from being a movement to becoming a stronger institution. With all the layers that come with that and the rigidity that comes with that. And as I studied the Acts of the Apostles, I realized, and I, I, like, like, you know, some of you, I'm a student of revival. I realized that revivals come from movements. Because movements create the fluidity that the Spirit of God needs to move. I felt that this institution was being suffocated by religion, by traditions of men, and by culture. 
that dominant cultures were pushing out the kingdom culture. Traditions of men, some inherited, were suffocating the flow of the spirit. And the rules and regulations of religion that didn't have the life and the spirit in them were suffocating. I began to feel suffocated. I realized that this thing had become so strongly hierarchical. Not just Jesus' house, but when I look around the church, so strongly hierarchical. That it had become like a civil service. If you served a certain number of years, then you moved on to the next level. And nothing wrong with that. It works for the civil service. But the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a different thing. And it was hierarchical like a pyramid. And I was uncomfortable with that. I realized as I looked at this thing and this discontent continued to rise that this, this thing, this, the way it had become, it had no room for young Davids. Because if it was so hierarchical, then what chance did young Davids have? They had to join the queue. And by the time it came to their turn to express the gifts of God in them, they were no longer young Davids. And I constantly looked at my own life. And as I looked at my own life, I thought, what would have happened to me if I came and gave my life the way I did when I was 27 years old. By 29 years old, I was in the leadership of the church, as the pastor of the church. I thought it's near impossible for a 27-year-old to come into this church and lead anything. And there's something that I felt was wrong with that. I also had to accept that there was a declining there was a decline in passion and really that's what drives us the passion we have for our faith for the gospel the passion that comes from our following Christ you see because if that passion is not there then you must legislate for everything to happen and you invariably will end up in some degree of control and manipulation to make things happen because the passion that comes from the fire of the Spirit is no longer there. And then arguably, the one that gave me the most sleepless nights was the fact that I realized that we are not making disciples in a coherent fashion. And what, and I, I know it's a challenge in the body of Christ, what that invariably leads to is you might have numbers, but the numbers are numbers of carnal Christians. And carnal Christians don't birth a revival. 
Carnal Christians can't advance the kingdom. Carnal Christians end up being focused on themselves. And they turn the Christian faith into some sort of magical formula to get things for themselves. The focus becomes things. And if anything gave me sleepless nights, and I don't do sleepless nights, it surely was that. That these saints of old, if they came into the 21st century and experienced what we call church, they would not recognize what we call, what we say we are as Christians. And in that state of holy discontent, if you add to that the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, then you will know that I had a problem. Because the pandemic came out of the blue. Nobody expected it. It hit all of us broadside. Disrupted completely what we know as church. Disrupted the social relationships that were important to us. As a church, we had to pivot in a few weeks to begin to truly understand how to reach out with the restrictions that we faced as a result of the pandemic and the lockdowns. As we came, as we have come towards the end of the pandemic, at least into some degree of normalcy, we realize, like most people do, that it's a whole new world that we face. That things have changed and despite some, people's, despite some people's desires, some things are not going to go back to what they were. We bandied the term new normal. And yes, it's a new normal. We realize that we have a hybrid church. It rained today. As we came in, my wife Shola and I were having a laugh that with the new normal, unfortunately, also because of the discipleship factor, many people are going to look at this rain and think, you know what? I'll do church at home in my pajamas with my breakfast in my hands. And please don't be condemned if you're doing that. There's no, you know, don't be condemned. Um, with a cup of tea. A few sips as you worship. Nice omelette as I'm sharing. Don't be condemned. Don't be condemned. Enjoy the omelette. But on a serious note, we realize that it has changed, that we have a hybrid church. That is not going to happen again where we will have the entire church in on one Sunday. And that's understandable. Because people have experienced, have the experience of knowing that I can sit at home, I can worship and it's spiritual, I can listen to a word that challenges me, I can worship with my substance, give my tithes and my offerings, I can do all that at home and, and get up from where I sat and feel spiritually fulfilled. And so they've realized that. So it presents a whole new dynamics. So of course, they, we, all, we all miss the physical interaction. But some people will say, you know what, I'll do it one or two Sundays a, a, a month. And the other Sundays, let's just stay in the house. 
and participate in church. It's a whole new normal. We realize in this new normal that technology has become key. Who would have imagined that it would be normal to have Zoom meetings and team meetings? Who would have imagined that Jesus House has now become a church where 90% of the giving is done on a phone? Before the pandemic, less than 20% of the giving was done in that manner. In a period of 18 months, it's moved to where the majority of the giving is now done via the various apps and the, and the various technology that exist. Things have changed. I was saying to them that it is conceivable within the next two to three years that I will be away in Ghana and I will be here preaching and you will see me here preaching. In the next two to three years, they will just beam me up here and I will preach to you and some of you will not even know that it wasn't me. That's the way it's going. I hear someone say, I, I bind that, I rebuke that. <laughs> In this new normal, there's a sense of freedom. People have access to so many different ministries. My wife, I'm her first pastor and her number one pastor, but I'm not her only pastor. Because now she tells me, have you heard what? Have you heard this? And she has two or three people that she listens to. She was not like that. But the freedom came during the pandemic. Because in the privacy of our homes, we could check out other ministries. And so one of our leaders said to me, oh, I'm in a small group in a, in a church in America, I thought, wow, this is really the new. Very committed, sold out here, doing an amazing work, but being blessed. And so for those ministries that wanted to manipulate and control people, that wanted to make sure that people only had one diet, one meal, the pandemic has wrecked them. Because when the pastor or the bishop wasn't looking over your shoulder, click, 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 you were in South Africa. And he had no way of knowing. And it brought a freedom of choice. It was like a shopping mall with loads of shops. And with no guilt, you could stand and look at the shop window and decide I'm going in there. So I remember one of our trustees, we had a trustees meeting, and one of our trustees said, oh, on a Sunday, I do three churches. I said, you do? I said, yes. And she gave the times of the three churches. And she said, I do it, by the way, on my bed. It's changed completely. And one of the most exciting things of this change is the opportunities for the gospel to spread. 
the opportunities for the good news to be preached. The world has never been more open spiritually than it is now. And against this backdrop, God says, I'm doing a new thing. So how does that apply to us as a church? What is this new thing for us? Well, for you, every one of those scriptures applies. You must find out what the new thing is that God is doing in your life. He can't speak like that with such clarity, precept upon precept, without there being a manifestation in your life. But the responsibility for your life rests with you. You see, that's part of the breakdown of an old culture. Because in an old culture, you sit, we sit back and expect someone to tell us. But that's not a New Testament church. That's a carryover from an Old Testament style of worshiping God where you have a high priest and the high priest knows everything and has access to God and we need the high priest to go to God. But in the New Testament church, there are no high priests. People like me are signposts to point you in a direction, but you don't need to go through us. God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. And so it's your responsibility. What does this new mean to me? How does it apply to my life? But for us as a church, he shared an a picture with me. God drives things home to me through images. Two pictures, two images. One was a bicycle wheel with spokes going in different directions. But the dominant picture actually came out of something that one of our leaders said to me. And the dominant picture was a house with many rooms. And I want you to just close your eyes and see that picture before you. A house with many rooms. A house with many rooms. So what does this mean? Why was God showing me this picture? Because he was starting to tell me about what the new is for us. He was saying to me that the future of Jesus' house looks like a house with many rooms. The house is what exists now. This place, you and I. Not this place, physical place, but you and what we do here. That's the house. But then he said, that house has existed long enough as a house, it's now time to build the rooms and populate the rooms. And as we went on, the term for the rooms, he dropped in my spirit. And anyone who has spoken to me recently knows that all I talk about are hubs. So what are these hubs? These hubs are really... A, extensions of what is happening in the house. There are a group of believers who are coming together 
in different parts of this country and abroad. And they are agreeing to do life together, to love Christ together, to support each other together, to learn together, to grow together. And they meet every Sunday as a hub. In the first phase, from the, the base, the preaching will be done into the hubs. The worship will be done into the hubs. But of course, as the hubs grow, the hubs will take on more and more responsibilities. But in the early days, there's no responsibilities for the hubs apart from the, for the hub leader. His instruction will be just facilitate the loving of each other, the supporting of each other, the doing life together, the loving Christ together. Just support that. And the idea is to put these hubs in as many places as God gives us an opening. And what that does is that it brings the expression that is here closer to people. And so the house remains, but the focus becomes how the house can create hubs and populate the hubs. With regards to discipleship, our connect groups become incubators. And just think about what an incubator does. You put in a child that might be weak and struggling and can't breathe on its own maybe. And the child stays in that incubator and the child is strengthened. And after a while, the child can cope on their own and they come out of the incubator. These are pictures God laid on my heart. And as I said to God, we just can't have flaky Christians, carnal Christians. With the amount of persecution that will come against the church, you need Christians that are sturdy, rooted, strong. You need Christians that understand the totality of Scripture, not Christians that are fed on ice cream alone. You need Christians that can go through thick and thin, Christians that can grapple with the deeper things of Scripture, like pain and suffering. You don't need Christians that think God is an ATM. You need Christians that understand that true prayer is not having your will done by God, by trying to emotionally twist his arm. You need Christians who understand that true prayer is aligning yourself with God's will, and whatever is God's will, embracing it. And the Lord said, you need to take everybody back into an incubator. And so, we are morphing our connect groups into those incubators. And driving everyone who is a part of Jesus' house. Whether at a base or in a hub. Into an incubator. 
certainly for a period of time, so that they come out discipled and then continue in that discipleship work. We're also creating, as part of the future, what I have called a greenhouse. I'm sure you like the terminology, hubs, incubators, greenhouses. And what is a greenhouse? A green, there, there is so much ministry in a lot of people in this church. For some of you, I've poured into your lives for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And you're still sitting in the same place wanting me to pour more. I'm not even sure I have more to pour. And so what God was saying to me is that it's time to unlock and release the ministry that is in people. There are many who don't want to go and plant a church. Of course, there'll be many who will be leaders of hubs because we are not, our hubs are not church plants. There's a, there's a process in the, in the creation of the hubs for a hub to become a church plant and go and stand on its own or relate to the church here as a church plant. There's a process for that. There's a process for when a hub arrives there and the hub leader and the members of the hub, by the Spirit of God, arrive at a place where they want to go and become a church plant. And that process is being put in place before we arrive there because some of the things that wounded in the past where people held on to people and tried to control and manipulate people can't exist in the new. It's really a, 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 a voluntary thing born out of relationships as we will find out. And there's an open door for people to come and go by the Spirit of God. But the greenhouse idea is for us to do what a greenhouse does. To invite people who have calls that God has placed on their hearts. Ministry ideas that they can birth, that can impact the kingdom of God. People who will sit here on a Sunday but run extensive ministries from Monday to Saturday, but they will be fed here and they'll sit here. And so, of course, we have a few already, but those few that we have came not because we intentionally created a, a process and a system to help them grow. They came because the people who, who, who God gave those ideas, the people grabbed them and ran with them. And we said to ourselves, what if we can create a greenhouse where we can discern by this? So it's not that every, anybody and everybody comes in with any kind of crazy idea and expects us to create a, a support system for it. Of course not. We will test it by the Spirit. We will find out if it's the will of God. Together we will pray into it and find out if it's the will of God. But once it's the will of God, then can we create a place where we can empower, encourage, help, help resource so that those ministries can go out and do what they're supposed to do. So, of course, we have things like Pastor Dan Relay's Grace to Graces, doing an amazing job, reaching out to women who have been abused. We have things like Pastor Funke's um, um, Hangout Cafe every Saturday. There must be more in this church. More, maybe 
to do with stuff going on abroad, more to do with stuff that is local. There's ministry in every single one of us. That demarcation of the clergy and the laity is from the pits of hell. Every one of us is a minister of the gospel. The question I'm asking you is, what ministry are you in? And so, those will form the major parameters, the, the major vehicles by which we move into the new. But let me show you a bit about the character of the new, as I, as I, I, I have to be conscious of time. There's a certain character for the new. At the center of that character of the new is the Holy Spirit. It has to be a Holy Spirit movement. It has to be birthed by the Spirit, birthed in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, sustained by the Spirit. It has to be a move that has as part of his objective a group of people who are walking with the gifts of the Spirit. And this is, the, this is going to be a challenge because of traditions and culture and religion. Because what we're trying to dismantle and what we're up against is the way that a lot of us have been brought up in church. The way we've been brought up is there's one person. He knows everything. God speaks to him. And whatever you want has to come from that one person or two people or three people. So we can have meetings and there are a thousand people and everybody will wait for a word to come from one person, usually the person behind the pulpit. But when you look at the early church, it was very different. Everyone in the early church submitted to the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God could use anyone. Of course, there's no, we don't want disorder. So we create channels so that what God lays on a person's heart, tells a person can be a blessing. When was the last time that we were in a gathering and someone spoke in tongues and someone brought an interpretation? We all look to one man to pray for our healing. That's not what I see in the early church the healings took place in the, the, the small groups and in the homes of the people. That's why I believe that there's going to be a move of God in the hubs that we're setting up. And we will be sharing the testimonies Sunday after Sunday. Even the leadership that's here. I've encouraged them so many times, step out in the gifts of the Spirit. And I've even identified what gifts is flowing in each person. But the culture and the tradition and the religion holds us bound. So someone gets a word of knowledge and they're not bold to utter it. Because the culture says, 
that word of knowledge must come from that man up there. And him alone. And there cannot be any revival if there isn't a move of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit flowing through you. What else is the character of the new? Something I call a radical holiness. An otherworldliness. An acceptance that we live in the supernatural. We live, we are peculiar. The enemy has done an amazing work. I hate to give him credit. But he, he does some, some things that you just got to say he, he, he got this. The enemy has convinced the church that to win the world, we have to be like the world. I'm not talking about sin, but that, you know, we have to blend in. I've actually heard it preached. And be like the world. But then I, the more I read the Bible, the more I see that it, that's not the case. We are set apart. We belong to another world, another kingdom. The Bible uses the word peculiar to describe us. That's strange. We don't win the world by being like the world. We win the world because the world is convicted by the Spirit. Not because we are persuasive or because we package it right in a strategic manner. No. John the Baptist was the most unappealing person to go to. He looked strange. He dressed different. But the whole of the community, the whole of the city, the whole of the province endured a hard journey into the desert to go to be with him because the Spirit of God was upon him. And so we must accept that we are set apart. We, we must consecrate ourselves to that. That's what I call a radical holiness. And what else is the character of this new? A new sound. And it's funny, the first time God spoke a new sound to me out of John, the fourth chapter and the 23rd verse, I started to engineer it. I had a meeting with Doc. I had a meeting with the heads of the tribe of, of, of Judah, music ministry. And I said, look, God has said this, this new is a new sound. We must begin to engineer it. And then one day I was sitting, lying in my bed, reading, re studying and reading. And God said to me, this way you're going about it. It's not going to happen. And he explained to me that when I say a new sound, when I talk about worship in spirit and in truth, I'm not talking about what happens in a service. There's no compartmentalization. That's what God was saying to me. I'm not talking about what happens in a service. I'm talking about a life that is totally submitted to me. No areas that are not under the control of my spirit. And that life is in ceaseless worship of me. And so when that life worships on a Sunday, it's a new sound. But that life understands that there is nothing that is secular and spiritual. Nothing that is too mundane to worship God. 
And so the life worships in the gym, worships at dinner, worships while swimming. Everything becomes a worship to God. There's no area that God can't go into and no area that is not submitted to God. And God said to me, when you get a person to that place, then what comes out of the person is a new sound. What else is the character of the new? There's a liberty. An absolute freedom in the spirit of God. Is there a danger? There is. But it's a risk that you take on God. That let the spirit of God control it. Man's tendency is to want to control it. But we've got to get to a point, let the Spirit of God control it. And so there are a lot of limitations that must be broken in the new. The cultural limitation that wants to deify leaders must be destroyed. Respect the leader, but please don't create another God. Number five, it must be relationship-based. That's what God said to me. It's relationship-based. You're not forcing. You're not manipulating. You're not controlling. You're not using fear to control. But you're trusting that my spirit will do it. And so it's a relationship thing. Number six, it must be prayer-driven. I remember saying to, I think it was Pastor Mark, I said, Mark, you think we've prayed? I think it was Mark. I said, wait until we start praying. So all I described to you, 21 days, all that stuff, that was just the beginning. But then, it will be prayer that is more than a discipline. Because of the centrality of the Holy Spirit, it will be prayer that's a delight. Number seven, it's about raising disciples. And number eight, a huge investment in children with a clear understanding that that investment is securing the future of the church. And so we're not waiting for the children to become leaders. We're Training the children to be leaders where they are. And let me end with this last one. Part of the new is an increased service to the body of Christ. And one of the things the Lord has laid on my heart is what I've, what I've given a working title called Rivers. And if you want to understand it very clearly, you want to read Ezekiel, uh, the 47th chapter from verses 1 to 12. You want to read that. So what is Rivers? Rivers is just a community of churches, interdenominational community of churches. Now, it's not a Jesus House ministry, even though Jesus House is going to be give, give to starting it up. So the infrastructural support we're actually looking for, we're going to start looking for a part-time administrator who will quickly become a full-time administrator. All that infrastructural support, Jesus House will give us a seed. 
but it's a totally standalone uh, entity. It's a community of churches. And it's a, it's a, it's a place for us, a, a crucible for us to encourage ourselves, like-minded churches, especially, not, not, not solely, but especially younger, younger pastors, younger vicars, younger, younger heads of churches. And it's an opportunity for us to encourage ourselves, to challenge ourselves. It's very flat in terms of hierarchy. It's relationship-based. And we just come together and challenge ourselves and encourage ourselves. There are certain things that will determine who is a part of Rivers, this community of churches. The churches will have to be passionate about revival, passionate about prayer, passionate about spiritual transformation of nations, passionate about spiritual regeneration of communities. They will also have to subscribe to a certain code of conduct with regards to transparency and integrity and accountability. And a certain value system that is kingdom-based in our relationships. Relationships with family, wives, husbands, children. Relationships with others, other ministers and ministries. And as long as they come through that, then we can sit down and begin to challenge ourselves. And if you read that scripture... Um, that's where the term, the, the, this work entitled Rivers came from. Ezekiel 47, um, verse 9. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there. For they, they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. So as the river flows, it brings life. Amen. And you know, the interesting thing with all these things is that it's coming at a time when we face a physical dislocation. Because this whole area is being regenerated, as you've seen, and we're going to have to move from here. But I didn't see it as a minus. I saw it as a plus. I saw it as God giving us a fresh start. Forget the former things. Behold, I do a new thing. And so I want you to receive it the same way as we move um, to a new location. And we'll be able to talk about, tell you the location in the next so many weeks. We expect, except we get an extension, we will have to be out of here by the end of September. But then we are moving on into the new things that God has ordained for us. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We glorify your name. We exalt you. Thank you for the new in your life. I want you to take a minute and thank God for the new in your life. You will have a new day of destiny. You will step into the new. Go and thank him for your life. And then thank him for the new in the church. And maybe as I end, there's someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior. You're watching from somewhere in the world. Or you're here in this auditorium. If you're here, slip your hands up. You want, to have, have, you want to have a relationship with Christ. You're watching from somewhere in the world. Why don't you say this prayer with me, wherever you are. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I receive him into my life as my Lord and Savior. 
I ask for the grace to turn away from anything sinful as I give myself to a life of obedience to you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Thank you for welcoming me into your kingdom. I declare that today I am born again into your kingdom and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. 